Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, beginning with verse 36. Listen, will you, for the word of God as it's proclaimed through these words of the evangelist Luke. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven, hence she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. So Jack and I have this agreement that I get to tell stories about him if I ask permission. So he was kind enough to let me use this story, um, which really, a long time ago, you know, Jack was an avid scuba diver. Now, you know that Jack doesn't do anything halfway or the easy way. So he and his brother Bob didn't go to Belize or Cancun or some other warm water spot in order to do their diving. They would go to Eastport, Maine, way up by the Canadian border which is a rather unlikely place for diving because the water can be 38 degrees there in August and the currents can take you to Greenland if you're not careful. But for Jack, it was a magical place. He and Bob had located a shipping dock that was built around the year 1800. When it was an active port, these huge square rigger boats with these huge sails, you know, would dock there after coming across the Atlantic from Europe. The dock was destroyed by fire in 1909, and 
no one had ever gone diving in this spot before, which meant that nothing was disturbed there where there used to be a dock. All the trash that the ships would throw over the side after they docked were still at the bottom of the ocean untouched. So Jack gets really animated when he talks about this. It's kind of like talking about P, P, P40, P46, P46, Papyrus 46. He gets animated about that as well. He gets animated when he talks about this story of diving under the water. He told me that immediately after descending 75 feet, he found his first treasure, a gold pocket watch. The porcelain had been kind of rubbed off and and the hands, of course, didn't work, and the, the glass, the crystal had, was broken. But he said, it was easy to see that it had belonged to a mariner from France. <laughs> it was probably given to him by his lover, who longed for him to return so that they could get married. <laughs> and the ship's hold, of course held spices from India and textiles from China. Then he found an old clay ink bottle into which the captain obviously had dipped his quill pen, <laughs> logging each day's progress across the Atlantic by the light of a whale oil lamp that swung above him. There was no end to the tale that could be spun around these treasures that he had found. An old watch became the door through which he could visit the past. Now, it's nice to visit the past, but you can't stay there. While Jack was fantasizing, Brother Bob was beginning to worry. While Jack had been visiting the past, Bob had stayed firmly in the present, and he was paying attention to the gauges on their equipment. And he realized they were dangerously short on time and air, and Jack was close to 100 feet down by this point, which is not a good thing. Brother Bob didn't have any interesting treasures, but Jack didn't have any air. They obviously made it back to the surface, Jack with his treasures and Bob with his common sense. But the moral of the story is this, we can visit the past, but we can't stay there or we will surely drown. Too frequently, we get stuck in the past. We get stuck in our wrongdoings, our disappointments, and we begin to drown. Too often we get locked into a sense of guilt that prevents us from breathing in new life. What I believe about God is that God wants for us to live. I am certain that God wants us to breathe in new life and to live. The woman in our story today is in need of forgiveness. And Luke makes absolutely clear that she is a sinner, a known sinner. So anybody who heard this story or read this story would know that this woman was a sinner, and she herself would not dispute that. She knows that she hasn't behaved out of her best self. 
And so when she hears that Jesus is going to be in town and that Jesus will be dining at the home of Simon the Pharisee, she brings a jar of ointment and she brings her story and she cries enough tears to bathe the feet of Jesus. I think she must have been desperate if she was willing to enter into the house of a Pharisee. I mean, this was the religious elite. Um, Simon would have represented all those folks who would not welcome her, who would reject her because she was impure, unclean. She certainly was not welcome. She must have been desperate to go there. She must have been desperate to create a new story for her life. So against all the odds, she came because she was drowning in her tears. She needed a savior. She was desperate to breathe in the grace that would release her from guilt and allow her to live. Well, she came to the right place. Jesus lifted her up so she could breathe again. He didn't lecture her about her behavior. He didn't judge her. He didn't use her guilt against her as if guilt would be a wonderful motivator for her to change her behavior. He didn't use her guilt. She was already suffocating in guilt. Jesus drew attention to that which was already a reality for the woman. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You see, grace is the only reality that's really strong enough to do battle with guilt. It's the reality of grace that Jesus reminds us of over and over again. Jesus doesn't say, go and fix your behavior, fix yourself, and then come back and we'll talk about grace. Jesus reminds us of the reality of grace. You see, we do not have to suffer in our guilt in order to be forgiven. Suffering and self-hatred will not earn us the right to be forgiven. We are offered grace because grace is the nature of God. Grace is the nature of God. And here's the truth. There's nothing you can do about that. There is nothing you can do to prevent God from loving you. That's the simple truth. And sometimes we need to be reminded, okay, every day, Maybe we need to be reminded of that truth. I have a friend who is a psychologist, and he spent most of his career in a high school. And he told me a story about a young woman, a senior in high school, that he was seeing. She was an excellent student. She got straight A's. She was an incredibly gifted artist. But she was terribly, terribly unhappy. She was desperately depressed. After months of meeting with my friend, she finally began to pour out her story. And I don't know any of the details of that story, 
But the essence of her story was this deep fear that she could not overcome her past. She felt there was no way to erase the past. In fact, she demonstrated that by a six-by-nine-inch tattoo on her back of Picasso's painting called The Weeping Woman. If you are familiar, if you're not familiar with that painting, look it up this afternoon. It's the painting of a woman's face stricken with terrible pain, completely gnarled with anguish. And in Picasso's angular kind of style and his garish colors, it's startling. And it was carved in this girl's flesh forever. My friend was, for her, the voice of God. He told her that famous artists of the past would often paint over their mistakes. They wouldn't throw away a perfectly good canvas. They would paint over their mistakes. And as that canvas would age, the top layer of paint would become translucent. My artists are shaking their heads, my hope. Um, it would become translucent so that you could see through it and you could just barely see the layers underneath showing through. These masterpieces included the errors of the past and they would be incorporated into the final picture and the result was something very, very good. So it was that this young woman was given a way to move forward, acknowledging the past and trusting that God would help create a future that was beautiful because it incorporated the past. That's grace. That's grace. It doesn't erase our mistakes, but it keeps us from getting stuck in the guilt so that we drown. That's grace. By the grace of God, our layers, the layers of our lives, help us to create a masterpiece. Our lives become a masterpiece. And we express love directly out of our lives and out of the grace that we feel. It's a direct consequence of forgiveness and grace. Jesus says of the woman who anointed his feet, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. You see, it isn't this woman's love that brings her forgiveness. It's the forgiveness she received that causes her to love. And the intensity of her love is contrasted with the lack of love shown by the Pharisee. Why would the Pharisee experience the liberation of forgiveness when it seems he believed himself to be above all of that? He was, it appears, someone who claimed to do no wrong. Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith, your acceptance of grace has saved you. 
So the question that lingers for me is, where does she go then? Where does she go then? Will the community that once condemned her open their doors to her? Will they now embrace her? And what if she showed up here in our sanctuary? Would we welcome her? I trust that we would embrace her. And as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I think that we have embraced her many times. I believe that each and every one of us is that woman. I trust that every one of us knows that we are forgiven. Some of us know it a little, some of us know it a lot. We've all been changed by that grace. I'll never forget meeting my sister-in-law's grandmother, Mrs. Otis. When I first met Mrs. Otis, it was just a horrible time in her life. She was very sad because her son-in-law had just been killed after falling asleep at the wheel of a car and running into a tree. At the time, Mrs. Otis was 103 years old, and she was grieving the death of her beloved son-in-law. When Jack visited her at the nursing home, she was just really sad. We talked for a while, and then she said, I I don't know why Harold died, and I'm still alive. I'm 103. Why couldn't I have been the one? He, He had so much to give. He was educated, and he was a teacher. She said, I'm not a teacher. I'm not educated. I have nothing to give. We talked for a while longer. We said, yes, you do. You do have something to give. No, she said, all I have is love for God and love for people. We don't have to be 103 years old to discover that we too have love to give, every one of us, love that springs forth out of our gratitude, our gratitude for receiving grace. When we allow ourselves to receive grace, we are then enabled to share it in abundance. Paul Tillich calls grace the divine answer to the question of our very existence. Grace is the divine answer to our very existence. What could be more important than that? What could be more important, more transformative? Thanks be to God for grace. Amen.